0: Do do do
1: Listening to the Arts Report on CITR 1.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm Jake Clark.
2: And I'm Ileana Sosa.
1: And we got we got a fun show for you here today. We got an interview with Daniel Heath Justice uh, coming up uh, next after the PSA break regarding a series of erotica readings. But before that, we have a little musical special because Ileana saw a show recently.
2: Yes, I did. I went to go to the railway this last saturday to go see the escapes and some other new local bands here in vancouver
1: so what are they like what what sort of genre they playing?
2: um i guess i would say like kind of indie funk maybe it's like pretty like kind of chill music that's really nice um yeah they're really cool and one of their their like main singer is actually goes to school here in ubc her name is isabel ralph
1: really okay mm-hmm. And was it sort of, uh, what, what What was the general character of the event?
2: So the railway is kind of, um, you won't see a lot of like younger fans, I guess, or, like at least like 20 year olds, it's like a little bit older, but um, you'll see like a lot of locals. So it's a really kind of chill environment. Um, most people are kind of bobbing up their heads. Not me, I was dancing the whole time. But it's more of like a place to like get a beer, sit down, and listen to like local bands that play here.
1: The precise artist tends to be secondary.
2: Yeah, that's what I feel. But you'll find some fans that do come. Like I'm a huge fan of The Escape, so I was like, I'm definitely going there. And I had like a t-shirt of them and everything. So
1: And how long have you been a fan? Is that a Vancouver thing or were you listening to them in San Antonio?
2: Um, it's a Vancouver thing. I went to go see them the first time with a friend of mine. Uh, she wanted to go see them, I think, last year during winter break before I headed off home. So I went to go see them with her, and I immediately fell in love with them. I talked to them afterwards, and they were super sweet and super nice. And I'm kind of excited for them to, like, being able to hear them on radio. That's a
1: great way to engage with a band, though, when especially when you can do it personally.
2: Yeah, it was really amazing just kind of talking to them, how they, like, started to get into, like, bands and everything. It was just... Really, really cool, and it's the railway is just a really nice place to like find local bands that you wouldn't usually find. So it's a nice way to like engage with like the community here.
1: How did they? What's their story?
2: Um, so if I, I don't know exactly because I kind of forgot. I was a little drunk at that time.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. Believe me, I get you.
2: So um, I think they were just all friends and they just kind of decided to do in a band together, which is probably kind of the base band story. But maybe if they hear this podcast, I mean, not podcast, this radio, sorry. Well, it's Um, both. Well, a little bit of both. Uh, if they hear this radio, maybe they can come on and do an interview with us sometime. Hmm.
1: That'd be nice. That'd be, I'm wondering if that's our purview, because we also have music collectors. But, you know, we've had musicians on the show before. Yeah. We do what we want. We're not beholden <laughs> to to... To, well, actually, we are beholden to quite a few things, but, but uh, in principle, yeah, that that one that would be fine. That'd be interesting. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to think about that. We'll reach out to them. Mm-hmm. They'll reach out to us. We'll. well, we'll I guess something. We'll,
2: we'll see. Little
1: little two martini lunch, little confab, you know. <laughs> uh, that's from Outlast. What the... Okay. Get
2: it? I mean, E3 just came, so I can understand, like, the video game.
1: I actually don't game, was the thing. So... No! My friend Debo uh, is, is uh, though, he beat the game on Good Friday of all days. And uh, <laughs> I, he said, and you got to look it up. I'm like, okay, because I get the storytelling aspect. You don't have anything against gaming. It's just something I never really got into. Mm-hmm. So we... I, I looked up the... Um, some of Outcast, uh, Outlast. I, al- <laughs> I also enjoy Outcast quite a bit. Doesn't really sync up, though. No, totally uh,
2: different things. No, you're,
1: you're, you're listening to the, the, the psychopath cutting off people's fingers with garden shears and bone shears and then suddenly bombs over Baghdad. No, <laughs> it doesn't really work. But uh, it was the Rick Trager
3: uh, mm. bit.
1: It's, it's just a chilling character. A lot of them are really chilling characters. And I was just like it's pretty horrific. I when you're playing that when you're in first person. And can you fight back in Outlast?
2: Outlast specifically is a non-fighting game. You are kind of beholden to just running away. That's like your main self-defense.
1: Well, that's that's my general policy in real life, but okay. <laughs> That's cuz it's just that that's terrifying. Yeah, it's like, a
2: very it's it's a very interesting experience cuz I feel like a lot of games, uh specifically horror games now are not beholden to making their players kind of attack the monster, it's more about running away and that kind of stuff. I love how we went to like games and the escapes like a very chill band so like gruesome
1: game outlast well yeah I guess I, I guess there there is there is there is no connection is there there, there uh, is.
2: um I guess <sighs> the you're escaping in outlast and the band is called the escapes
1: you've got you got you got I, I guess that that could that really, <laughs> well
2: I mean are, are you escaping
1: like what what is the it, it's your you're escaping the asylum right
2: Yes, you're escaping the asylum. Or the
1: guy, the guy came in deliberately, and then uh, mutations.
2: So the, the the kind of main story is you play Miles Morales, and he is a journalist, and he gets this tip that something terrible is going on in this asylum. So he's like, I have to go videotape this and get the proof, and then I can like go to my uh, boss, and I'll be like a great newspaper reporter star. But then he gets kind of trapped in this asylum, and he's still kind of learning about everything, about what's going on. Why did these like these uh, uh, asylum
1: mutated psychopaths?
2: Yeah, turn out this way. So it's kind of understanding what happened to the asylum and the patients in it, but also like getting 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 to leave. Like you want to leave? Hmm. (laughs) You're not having a good time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Aren't you? She, like, it's, it's, um, like, it's interesting to me, the horror aspect, because with—I I might have mentioned this on the show before, but I've been really impressed with Bloodborne, what I've heard about it, because mm. I'm a big H.P. Lovecraft guy. But the thing about Bloodborne that kind of flies in the face of H.P. Lovecraft's work, which I actually like quite a bit, is that you're confronted with these eldritch monsters beyond the pale of your comprehension, but you can kill them. Yeah. you You can. It's difficult— it's very difficult, according to people telling me about the gameplay. But, yeah. uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. did you tell me
2: about this? I don't think I, I think, I feel like I've mentioned it because I, it was, it's a very hard game, but.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm told that it's just like, it's, it's dying all the time.
2: But if you do love HP Lovecraft, there is a game coming out soon called Call of Cthulhu where you, um, try to figure out what's happening. I think you're a private investigator you're trying to figure out what's happening in this hospital and there's very lots of HP Lovecraft themes. Well the going title's on.
1: kind of a spoiler.
2: Oh <laughs> um, well it's a fun spoiler.
1: Why are people clawing their eyeballs out and making eldritch etchings on the walls? Uh, oh, oh, it's Cthulhu. Oh, okay. Uh, that that's that's okay. Okay, we got you. Uh, the with with that though I I just that's there's an appeal to that because but that's also so far against Lovecraftian horror, which is that you can't do anything. Mm. It's I I would prefer th- That but Miles Morales is it so. Is he, like, a very ethical guy? Is he trying to...
2: He just, he kind of seems just like a reporter who kind of done, like, gossip things, and he's trying to, like, elevate himself. Uh, I wouldn't say he's very, like, um, very moral person, but um, he does, I think he just is very much looking to further himself over everything.
1: Is he a tough guy? I guess he's gotta um, be.
2: I I feel like he's not a tough guy. He's more scrappy.
1: Because um, Miles Morales, I just think, like, Latin, maybe Moral Soldier something like that. Oh, Miles, that's really on the nose. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those superhero type of names. It's a Stan Lee name a little bit.
2: Oh, since we were talking about video games, I think I should mention, because this is a Canadian developer. The Certainly. Cup, yeah, uh, Cuphead DLC is coming out soon as well, I think next year. But, I mean, it's it's soon because they did, like, an E3, but they're, like, a Canadian developer, and they're...
1: What is Cuphead EC? Uh,
2: DLC. Their DLC's um, coming out. Uh, it's just kind of, like, an add-on to their already really huge popular game, which is really, really cool. Which is? It's... Um, you play as kind of uh, these these little cartoon Cupheads, and it represents back to those, like, very old, old, old... Uh, cartoons like mickey mouse like day, like the the, the willy
1: the steamboat willy
2: Willy. Willy, like that kind of animation (laughs) and they did all their uh work on that um video game all on hand so they did everything by hand so every animation and everything that is uh, attacked is on hand
1: that's pretty impressive. Okay, we're gonna play you a little bit of the escapes here, and when we come back, we should have a phone interview with uh, uh, with uh, our guest. <laughs> that would be that would be Daniel Heath Justice, who who also sounds like he could be a superhero. All right. Cheers. Hello, Daniel.
0: Okay. someone's been stealing my piece of mind. you made a promise I'm gonna hold you to it when I'm feeling hopeless you're gonna help me Knee-jerk reaction. It's a fact that they don't like how we change. It's not pretentious. It's the lessons I.
1: Oh, hi. (laughs) Sorry, we were just having a bit of a (laughs) struggle there with uh, getting you on the line. Um, For those who may have just dropped in, uh, this is still the Arts Report on CITR FM. I'm still Jake Clark.
2: I'm still Ileana Sosa.
1: And we're being joined by Daniel Heath-Justice, who is a UBC professor currently uh, taking part in the Multidisciplinary Summer Celebration Decadence. It's it's um, it's it's spelled with decade capitalized and then as 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 part of the word decadence, which is running uh, the 16th to 28th at the Roundhouse Community Center and uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, for the queer arts festival. There was an order that was supposed to go in and I duffed it, I think. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're curating uh, for I this am, yeah. uh, this exhibit as well as taking part in. It. Could you tell us about that
3: a little bit? Yeah, so the the part of the festival that I'm part of is the Lay of the Land erotic literary readings uh, evening, and that's uh, seven to nine p.m. on the nineteenth, and it's a gathering of uh, five, sorry, uh, five uh, poets, writers, activists, um, kind of bringing a whole range of uh, approaches to. Um, the erotic uh, as part of the kind of the, the larger discussions about um about gender sexuality um and um and just good healthy and happy and um and well supported life um in a very wounded world right now
1: oh well, that's always good to hear you know being the situation being what it is and that's Oh, I just got the pun. I just, I just, I just. Got it. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm, I'm, I am, I am very, very slow. Bad history with doors. Um, and it, it. Now, you're also the co-editor of Sovereign Erotics, which is, yeah. uh, According to the press release, the first and only published collection of two spirit literary erotic writing, which is very interesting to, to, to me to read because I've heard two spirit used as, as, as a term of identity regarding uh, First Nation sexuality but I'm not exactly certain of the etymology, of the the, the meaning behind that. Would you be able to um, share that with us?
3: Sure, yeah. Two-spirit is a term that is kind of a pan-Indigenous term, uh, specifically in, in Canada and the U.S., um, that emerged out of activism in the 1990s. Um, and there are a couple of different origin stories. One, that it came from a uh, gay and lesbian indigenous gathering in Winnipeg and another one that it was the same kind of gathering in Minneapolis, but the idea behind it was um, the desire for indigenous people of a diversity of genders and uh, sexualities to find a term that spoke not just to sexuality but also to culture um, and the idea that in many communities, uh, people who are perceived as gender variant or who are of, of a gender outside of the, the Euro-Western binary would would be seen as having particular kinds of uh, medicine or particular um, kinds of cultural roles that didn't have a lot to do with sexuality but had a lot to do with being connected to a diversity of experiences and um, perspectives. And so Two-Spirit emerged out of activism, and it has been more broadly um, accepted in a lot of communities. Often it refers to LGBT, um, but it it's not just around um, sexuality or gender identity. It, it, it can be a, a lot more, a lot deeper than that, uh, but of course, different communities have different terms as well. So it's it's more of a of an umbrella term, um, but that it doesn't displace the culturally specific terms um, and roles.
1: And it's so it's sort of uh, almost a gestalt for that.
3: Um, in in some way, I mean, it, it's it's there's some creative tension there, right? I mean, in, in mm. some ways, it can be a very um, inclusive and adaptive term. But in other ways, it can in it can be one that sits, stands aside, you know beside community specific terms um, and perspectives, or in in some ways, because it it is so popular because it it's it emerges out of a more pan-indigenous, um, activist community, it can, some people have seen it as, as kind of obscuring some of the more culturally specific, um, roles. And so I think there's, there's a creative tension and a creative possibility there. Um, and so I, I would never say, you know, it, it doesn't have a place. I would never say it has the only place. I would say that it's one of, of a multiplicity of ways that indigenous peoples have and continue to express, um, perspectives on gender sexuality and um, broader kinship
1: viewing this in the context of the queer arts festival how is how are uh, two-spirited identities uh, received in the queer community
3: you know it really depends I mean there's still a huge amount of racism there's still a huge amount of colonialism um, within the queer kind of broader queer community I think in many places uh, it's Actually, really good, but in other places, it's it's still an area of um, of needed intervention. I mean, I think there's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of stereotypes that non-indigenous people have about indigenous people. There's still um, a way that um, queer and two-spirit indigenous people are fetishized by um, particularly white uh, gay and lesbian folks. Um, but I think it's it's one of those shifting realities. I think there's a lot more understanding now, I and mean, Two-Spirit's actually included um, in a lot of the acronyms, and people have a better understanding now of what Two-Spirit means, because there have been some really astonishing Two-Spirit activists and artists who've done a lot of work of educating people. But it's still uh, it's still an issue that that needs addressing, and I'm, I'm always really pleased when I see... It represented and represented in a way that's not just tokenistic, but actually very thoughtful.
1: And I gather that informs the readings in Lay of the Land quite significantly.
3: In some ways, but not all of the uh, not all of the readers are indigenous. But um, the Lay of the Land, the, the title actually came from uh, Métis writer um, Samantha Marie Nock, uh, who changed it from Queerotica to Lay of the Land. And I haven't talked to her about why she made those particu- that particular change, but uh, she was really gracious and, and offered up the, the name again this year. And I think part of it was um, a desire to see the interconnections between um, Indigenous people's struggles to maintain the health and well-being of the land and waters, um, and the struggles and, and activism of Indigenous, Black, and other people of color uh, to really bring attention to the imperiled state of a lot of our communities and a lot of our bodies um, and to see the ways in which, you know, talking about the erotic from a position of uh, sovereign consent and of empowered belonging is a really important way of tying the, the struggles of of a wide range of communities um, and the struggles of those communities to maintain um, the land. And so I think we're, what interests me is that, you know, we do have uh, indigenous readers. We have non-indigenous readers, but they're all very much engaged with questions of belonging um, with different kinds of questions of kinship, of relationality, um, of dignity and um well-being in a wide range of of understandings. And so it's not about the erotic as kind of this titillating thing outside of people's embodied realities, but actually grounding it in people's experiences, um, and especially in the experiences of people whose bodies are in danger, um, endangered from bigotry, endangered from uh, the carceral system, um, endangered from uh, just everyday Bigotry and prejudice. So I think this is a really important way of affirming uh, a wide range of people's experiences in a way that is um, compelling and provocative and and hopefully um, fun and uh, and sexy too.
1: Fun and sexy after the 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 atmosphere of danger right there. That is that is quite an impressive undertaking.
3: Well, I think we have to, one thing we have to remember is that. You know we there's still a huge amount of racism that particularly targets certain bodies, and it's mostly black and phenotypically indigenous bodies um that that take a lot of the a lot of the focus of of racialized bigotry um and I think one thing that we, we're always talking about in in our various communities is the ways that certain bodies are seen as not being worthy of love and not worthy of of kindness, um, not worthy of regard and dignity. And one of the things that a lot of um, a lot of uh, artists and writers of color and indigenous writers are doing is to push back against that and to actually find beauty in the bodies that are so often pathologized um, in racist and settler colonial society. So I think we... We do have to talk about the danger, but we also have to talk about the joy. and we've talked about the beauty and, and make space for all of the ways that so many people are, are, are finding um, finding power in their bodies no matter you know, even if their bodies don't look like bodies on the magazine racks. Um, and maybe especially when their bodies don't look that way, um, because their bodies are still very much worthy of regard and love and generosity and pleasure. Oh, certainly.
2: Is, um, is Lay of the Land um, like a magazine? I'm sorry, I don't... Know. No, no,
3: it's, it's just the, the name of the, the, the reading event for, the, for that evening. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it, it was formerly called Queerotica, um, but I think the, the grounding of it in the land itself. And we also have a really, um, a really beautiful painting by an Anishinaabe artist uh, named Quill Violet Christy Peters, who does some, some, some gorgeous work connecting Indigenous women's bodies and embodied pleasure with the land itself and really making those links between not only the, the integrity of the land and the people, but also the the struggles of, of the people and the land, and the, the different ways that they those struggles are shared. Um, and so I'm really pleased that Quill gave us the uh, the permission to, to use uh, her art for kind of the, the thematic uh, foundations for the for the readings, because I think it it brings together a lot of the themes that um, I hope people take away um, after their. Uh, after they come and, and listen to these really remarkable performers,
1: because there seems to be a lot of um, intersectional performance here, both in terms of of content between these communities and in terms of medium as well. That was one of the things that really struck me reading the list of these um, events here. Like you have these readings that also have these paintings alongside them. You have um, a you have well, well, you have the a few concerts. You have a concert of um, one thing that struck me was. Uh, Skin and Metal, the homoerotic uh, musical theater works by Barry Tro. I mean, I'm pronouncing his name, I've been pronouncing his name Tro for the last bit of time. And then there's also um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dutcher, Jeremy Dutcher's performance of traditional songs from an album release, from Maliseet songs. Right, and that
3: yeah yeah yeah. I'm only involved with with this one, but this is this is what excites me about so much of the work that's happening now is that there are these conversations happening between communities and across. Um, various people's experiences in finding where those moments and those possibilities of connection are, and also where the, those connections aren't. We can also just talk about those differences in ways that don't see those differences as deficiencies.
1: That's a, that's commendable. That's certainly uh, that's certainly something you, you know you need. Uh, I I got one question to sort of close with. In terms of experience, uh, the experiences related here. What is one that you think is a real touchstone, like if someone is interested in what they're going to see, what is one of these readings or one of these things that is that you would think is very indicative of what you're putting on here?
3: Well, I don't. I don't want to highlight because we have five performers and they're all going to be very different. But I think oh, okay. one thing that people can come away knowing is that they have they've had the opportunity to hear from some of the most exciting, uh, creative, uh, creative writers working in the scene today um and they will they will leave not just enriched but um deeply informed and i think that um, and i think they'll they'll also just find it really cool and i think we can also just get that there's going to be some some awesome stuff here and maybe they'll leave a little bit turned on which isn't a bad thing (laughs) well then (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's 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 quite a proposal. And just just to refresh our audience, if anybody's dropped in during the interview, where can they find this reading?
3: Uh, this will be at the Roundhouse Exhibition Hall um, on June nineteenth from seven to nine, and it's a pay what you can event. Uh, and we just you know we're excited to have folks there. Um, again, it's going to be connecting sexuality, um, diverse communities. Um, activism and politics. So if those are your thing, join us and, uh, and bring some love for the readers because they're going to be really, really exceptional.
1: Excellent. Well, break a leg tall.
3: Thank you very uh, much. Daniel, it was lovely having you on the show. Yeah, thank you Thank you. So
1: you appreciate it. Cheers. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. That was interesting.
2: That, yeah, that was really, really cool.
1: So yeah, that that's pay what you can. This is also queer arts festival, so that is running, uh, its decade ends. Decade, it's just it, it's a good, it's a visual pun from uh, the 16th to the 28th at Roundhouse Community Arts and Recreational Center. It's also uh, the 20th anniversary of Pride in Art. Uh, so yeah, check oh, yeah. it out, especially if it's pay what you can. Uh, we're gonna have a quick word. Well, slightly unquick word because we had the musical break before, but uh, from our sponsors, and then uh, when we return, we'll I'll have a couple reviews for you regarding uh, Boom for Real and Victim Impact. Don't know what those are? Well, I do, so you'll find out in a short while. Uh, yeah, semi short one.
3: National Indigenous Peoples Day is June 21st, and CITR
4: 101.9 FM is here to provide you a day of special programming and celebration, with programs on language revitalization, Inuit composers, and much, much more. All day, CITR will be broadcasting content by, with, and for Canada's
1: Indigenous people, from Indigenous-focused music playlists and audio documentaries, to in-studio interviews. Tune in Thursday, June 21st from 11 a.m. onwards to hear all of CITR's programming on Indigenous culture, identity, and heritage.
4: government now covers medications that could reduce your chances of contracting HIV by 90%. P-R-E-P stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis and is a preventative measure that HIV-negative folks can take to reduce their risk of becoming positive. Health Initiative for Men suggests that if you have had sex with a partner with HIV, have had a recent STI, have multiple sexual partners, have a history of inconsistent or no condom use, are currently involved in sex work, or have had repeated courses of post-exposure prophylaxis, then you might want to think about looking into PREP measures. CATR and Discorder are not medical professionals. Please refer to your doctor for more information. member of CITR and Discorder, but are you a true friend?
3: Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts in Kitsilano and around UBC at
4: On the Fringe Hair Design, Rufus Guitar Shop, Stormcrow Ale House, The Bike Kitchen, UBC Bookstore, Australia Boot Company, and so many more.
1: Uh, oh yeah, I do believe the Rio theater is still yep, still sort of needs some attention there. So, yeah, I, like I said, we, we're we like them, you know. We're gonna keep flogging this. Well, it, it the horse is still going, you know. So we're, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep. That's not a good analogy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, movie I saw at a different theater actually, uh, "Boom for Real," which I actually saw at Van City, uh, is a documentary about uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Uh, Are you familiar uh, with... uh, No,
2: I am not. That was going to be my first question. I was going to be, who is this person?
1: So Boom For Real um, is a... uh, It's a document. So, uh, oh, yeah, who he is. Yes, I knew that. I was going off of that. Uh, (laughs) So Jean-Michel Basquiat was a painter, musician, uh, artist, let's generally call him. um, And he was... uh, very notable. This is the difficulty of describing art uh, on a auditory medium. Um, but he had these very uh, rough, visceral, very graffiti-influenced works. Yeah. And oh wait.
2: Now that I see some of his. Words. Now,
1: now that you're seeing him, like, like seeing, he was an iconic guy too. He also had a band, uh, which is notable for, I think, Vincent Gallo being the the was he the guitarist or the the he, Vincent Gallo was in his band, which is a little <laughs> interesting thing because I'm I find Vince Gallo be a very an interest very interesting figure. Like he's the closest living example we have to, to Wyndham Lewis, basically. So. He wasn't in this at all. Jim Jarmusch was, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I quite like Jim Jarmusch, and it's exactly as you'd say, you know, he's... Yeah, I knew Jean-Michel very well. You know, he came in and with my, I was walking with my girlfriend and Jean sees us and he runs around the block and steals a flower and then he gives it to her. I'm not, I don't know if that's a good impression. I don't remember Jim Jarmusch's voice exactly, but similar (laughs) sort of low voice, like what my voice would maybe sound like, but not really like, like maybe if I actually knew how to throw my voice, uh, but boo for real, um. Now Jean-Michel Basquiat. Here's a, a short spoiler for you. He died young, um, on account of heroin. I, I don't know if he died at 27, but I don't think he broke 30. Um, and he was he was writing. He was not not not, not writing. But, well, yes, writing, but also painting and making music. At the time, sort of the No Wave period in New York. Like this was not. This was a shady period. Of New York, like this is the Gerald Ford presidency in New York was not a great place to be for a lot of people Um, because because, uh, well, basically in the art scene, uh, heroin, heroin was really eating into it. Um, And heroin plays a role in this story. Interestingly, there is no mention in this documentary of him doing heroin, uh, which killed him. Like I feel like that's worth noting. Jean-Michel Basquiat was a brilliant artist who died of, of, of a heroin addiction, as did the person he's compared to a lot in this film and in life, which is Charlie Parker. And in both I think Parker broke thirty-three, but he looked sixty when he died. Oh wow. Heroin's a hell of a drug. Um and the thing that I liked about this thing was that it did focus it focused on the early teenage years of Jean-Michel Basquiat so this was not really that much about Jean-Michel Basquiat as much as it was about the scene with a focus on Jean-Michel Basquiat which is fair because the guy was a genius and it would be fairly easy for documentarians to overlook him if they wanted to it would be unfair but it would be easy Mm -hmm. because there's a lot about no wave you can concentrate on Otherwise, like there's a lot of people who can zero in on the whole Patti Smith, Robert Mapplethorpe thing. And well, well, actually, Patti Smith did that because she has the right to because she wrote a book on it. But with Boom for Real, like you realize these things aesthetically. You realize how influential his aesthetic was by seeing it happen. You also realize how much it's evolved out of its time because it was very topical. It emerged from graffiti. There's um one of the interviews, probably one of the most interesting interviewees in this was Lee Quinones, who was uh, one of the original graffiti artists. He actually had a very interesting point about heroin, which is why do you need to escape while you're escaping? Because for him, and I suspect for a lot of other people, uh, his art was the way he dealt with things. Now, there's a whole comorbidity thing, and there's a connection with, well, actually, I don't really want to get into this because the day I saw this was the day Anthony Bourdain died.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And that, that conversation is going to go down a similar avenue as the Robin Williams conversation. So, yeah, uh, there's a certain comorbidity between being uh, in this area and having a problem, but you can circumnavigate that, and it's not, strictly speaking, necessary. It's just it's a chicken-or-the-egg scenario. Um, and I'm not ganging up on the guy for what, what, what he did or how he died, because... You know, that is a whole bunch of factors that I will never go through. Hopefully. I don't want to tack hopefully on there because I'm pretty scared of needles in general.
2: Yeah, and I think it's kind of important to say that he was a person of color.
1: Yes, it really was. I was actually kind of wondering how to approach that.
2: Yeah, no, because I know some of his art. Actually, in America, we call him Basquit. Really? Yeah, so that's why I didn't know he we were saying, but he I do know this artist. He is a very influential artist, and he's also just kind of a very huge, like, icon, I think, in the black community because he was a really famous black artist.
1: He was, and, like, that's, well, um, who was it? Watching this thing, one thing I kind of realize is that, holy christ asap Rocky wants to be this man so badly oh really stylistically in terms of his venture in terms of honestly from the film of him i i, I, I suspect that he's seen film of this guy and is trying to emulate the way he walks like it's just oh. dis- it, like it, it's it's just it, it, it's 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 one of those things where I can tell it's not an impression but it's it's almost one like just for that and like i can one thing this movie does give you as well as a profound uh feeling of what he was doing with what he was given Mm. because it does point out that he was really out on his ass for a long time like he was he could not like he didn't have he couldn't get gallery showings most of his peers couldn't either and then he made use of what he had and that came about to pretty successfully, considering the impact of his art, considering the impact of his personal life. Again, debatable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, that uh, I, I, I honestly don't really know how to approach that because I'm neither black nor American.
2: That's, I mean, true. <laughs> um,
1: is, is he known? In the, is he, he's, he's well known, though, he's I'm a, assuming. He's a
2: very well known artist. Uh, even if you didn't take an art history class, you would at least know him. I think in America, and if you did, even if you were an artist, you would definitely hear his name because he his work is very much uh, going away from it's graffiti style, and graffiti style is a very huge part in like uh, uh, people of color um, work. Like, there's always like any city you go to, there's going to be like uh, tags and stuff like that. Any graffiti and like uh, graffiti artists are kind of a big community in themselves and seeing kind of Basquit use kind of those kind of graffiti uh, art styles uh, since it is a specific style and seeing it become famous and seeing a person of color become famous is just amazing and it's sadly not so, like you don't see a lot of people of color, especially back in the day coming out as really big stars Especially in like art world, yeah. So it's... It's, it's seeing that, and sadly, him passing off super young,
1: yeah. Is, like it's
2: it is a really uh, he is a very just huge influencer influencer.
1: Well, yeah, and that's again the Charlie Parker comparison really comes out there because of the influence of it and because of the the very intense. Scene he lived in the very intense work he created from that. That's the parallel for me because I've been I've been thinking about jazz a lot recently
0: mm-hmm. for
1: various reasons. I just finished reading Charles Mingus's um, autobiography, Beneath the Underdog, uh, which is a lot of very interesting stories. Um, kind of kills the bass players are boring things single handedly, <laughs> but the um, the thing about that is that when a guy like Mingus who had He had mental health issues, pretty severe mental health issues. Mm -hmm. But he also, I think, had a really strange ability to grasp how he had a strange capacity for empathy. And there was a concert he famously played with, I think, Charlie Parker. And there was, I think Thelonious Monk might have been on piano. I'm not sure. It was a legendary concert. But it went very, very badly. Uh, I think especially because Parker was really on the—he was at the end of his life at that point. And Mingus basically—Mingus, who was, again, a guy who'd spent quite a bit of time in Bellevue at that point, uh, stepped up to the microphone and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, this is not jazz. This is very sick, people. Which is a sad thing for Mm -hmm. a man to say when he's standing shoulder to shoulder with people he is seen up close and— holds justifiably as geniuses and innovators. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the tragic sense you get looking at this sort of this, at least I got from this kind of retrospective. The thing wasn't a, a tragic feel. The ending of it was actually pretty upbeat, but there's a point in the middle uh, of the, the middle of the movie actually sort of leaves Basquiat almost entirely and talks about the impact of heroin. Oh, wow. On the art scene a little bit. And just how pervasive it was at the time. And that it really does, it's, it's something that is really hard to, because just of the degree, it it just it can just wreck people's lives. And looking at this, especially the ending of this movie is quite hopeful, I would say. It, uh, it has a montage at the end uh, with footage of a shuttle launch. From Cape Canaveral. Okay. And saying, I think it says he lived seven years after his first, um, seven years, yes, yeah, seven years after his first gallery showing. And Damn. in that time produced a great deal of work. And the thing is that it's it, it's it was a strange visual symbol because it's this gesture of potential. And this potential, on the one hand, it's absolutely fitting because it was true. Because he did produce a great body of work for the remainder of his life. The corollary of that, however, is that we know this because he's dead. Yeah. And preventably so. So, it it, it was... I I thought it was an interesting move to end the movie with that. Considering the tone they'd gone with before. But on the other hand, they couldn't have left that tone out. They really couldn't Mm. have. Because that was... That was part of the issue.
2: So it seems like this this documentary focused on um, kind of his influence?
1: Uh, so actually, no, not really. Kind of the opposite. The influences oh. that formed him. Okay. Which is really interesting to think about, considering how iconic an artist he is. Yeah. And that's like, uh, like again, Lee Canones, who is one of... The, I think he's the original graffiti artist, they point out. He's really interesting to hear from this. Jim Charmush isn't in it a lot, but... He's sort of a known figure who was kind of part of this, so it's interesting to hear his take on this in this form. And there's um, there's also like a few other oh um <laughs> so that one one of the interviews he he also designed for uh, fashion a little bit oh really yeah uh, Patricia Field was the person he designed for she um. Uh, she, 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 um, she sounds like, you ever watch Friends? You you watch Friends? Yes. You know Joey's agent, Estelle?
2: Okay, yeah, a little bit.
1: Sounds like her doing an impression of Tom Waits.
2: That,
0: okay. She's,
1: like, uh, she's done some living, I suspect, and it was really interesting seeing her talk about his involvement with, with that, because she seems surprisingly laid back about the whole thing, so I had to get these paper jumpsuits, right? And then he said, "Oh, you paint on them and be like, okay, good, good. You do that, and we'll sell them. Why not?"
2: I love it. <laughs> as you,
1: do, I'm not doing a good enough impression of it. Like it's like it was this really um, very very hard ass cigarette-y voice.
2: That's kind of interesting because I've only really known him as like an artist. I didn't know he was like part of a band. Yeah, or that he did fashion. So that's... with
1: Vincent Gallo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, uh,
2: you're trying so hard to get that voice.
1: No, no, I I'm really not. I I can't no, I can't do it. I, I <laughs> can't do that. I, 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 No. Oh, another person in this thing is very interesting is Fast Five Freddie. Okay. He he was an early hip hop pioneer, member of the art oh. world. Really interesting guy. And in the analogy where Basquiat is Parker, he's as a Gillespie. Basically. Basically? Sort of. Like he's he's the well, he's still alive now. He looks like he's doing pretty well. He, he looks like um you know how the members of Run DMC are sort of like one of them's a minister, so're they're, they're still the guys from Run DMC. like they're still
0: you yeah, can yeah. tell
1: that, but like now they've got like the waistcoat and the shirt buttoned all the way up like it's 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 a logical progression into respectability. That's what this guy looks like. Okay. Like he, he looks like someone who has earned his look pretty significantly. And he uh like uh and it's it's interesting too to think about that because Dizzy Gillespie also uh lived he lived into the seventies, I know that. Um and his friendship with Charlie Berger produced some brilliant work. But he also had to carry that on after he died. Oh, so that in and of itself is very interesting. This is worth checking out if you're into the art. If you're into this scene especially, um, it might scare you a little bit, but it also should do that. Because um, I, I will say this. This does uh, does not make you want it. This this thing is does not valorize being a junkie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it doesn't, it, again, it doesn't talk about how that affected Basquiat, but it, it talks about that enough to make the point pretty clear. So if you want to check that out, the last showing is actually tonight at eight forty at Van City Theater.
2: Ooh, I might. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's it's, it's a good show. Um, another thing I saw this was actually this is actually just a quick thing I'm going to touch on was a series called Real Jazz, which was also at Van City Theater. Just a series of uh, of of collected clips from various movies about jazz. And things, like I said, I've been thinking about it a lot recently. And this is one thing. There's a thing called Swing Wedding, where they have cartoon frogs playing jazz musicians. And the ending turns into a riot. Like, one guy yanks the key out of a, a, a trumpet and uses it as a needle in a cartoon made in the 1940s. And, like, this is at a wedding, too.
2: Wow, that took a turn. And they're all
1: frogs.
2: So am I just seeing a bunch of frogs get murdered?
1: I don't think it's a murder so much as just a party that gets really out of hand. There is a Cab Calloway frog, however. And the thing about Cab Calloway is that before this, you see live-action Cab Calloway. Now, Cab Calloway has been rendered in cartoons as also as a walrus by the Fleischer brothers. It's worth noting. So I have seen (laughs) two versions of Cab Calloway. In cartoon, as cartoon animals, and the live-action Cab Calloway. The most over-the-top one is the live-action Cab Calloway by a shocking margin. Every look on his, his very maneuver, like, is is a mixture of James Brown and Michael Jackson, oh, that guy, a lot. Well, they're both dead, but they owed him a lot. Uh, And... Just, he's got this almost operatic voice, but his jaw seems like it's stretching the skin of his face to get his mouth open. He's got you're, this you're demented <laughs> grin in his eyes. And he's like, I feel my random singing quota for the day. <laughs> and if you could see my face right now, I have a face that kind of, because of its prodigious size, telegraphs emotion well. We call it broadcaster syndrome, small body, big head. Kind of a bobblehead situation just go <laughs> on camera. Still doesn't do it justice. Um, now, th- this is uh, part of a series that's not running, uh, but it is. If you can catch the Real Jazz series, check it out. I believe the next one is in August. Uh, and one last one uh, before we go. Uh, this is going to take a bit of a serious note. Is Victim Impact at the culture. Uh and that I will say right off the bat is running until the seventeenth. Victim Impact is a documentary theater production um, about Rashida Samji. I'm... She's a real she's a real person. She's a notary public who schemes people out of a you know a, a few hundred million dollars collectively uh, oh. in a Ponzi scheme. Uh, and this shows sort of the extent of that. This thing has a lot in common with the Big Short, uh, oh, okay. the movie, The Big Short, because it, it is based in realism. But there are also sieges in it that do explain it. The sieges in this are delightful, by the way. They have these uh, that because everything is transcript from uh, from interview reenactment, and then imagination sequence uh, on the on this uh, letterhead on this uh, running letterhead on top of, uh, on, that's projected onto the screen behind them. And then it's just people coming over and very cheerfully, like, I think there's a musical number involved explaining how, uh, uh, what is it? Is it how drunk bonds work? It's, you, you, you get well informed. It is kind of, it is something you do kind of leave angry though, because this woman destroyed people's lives kind of like just, or just kind of drove people to bankruptcy. Um, is uh, it
2: like in the big short ending where or, or is that kind of uh spoiler?
1: Well, the we, we know what happened.
2: Oh, I don't.
1: Pardon? With with uh Rashida Samji? Yeah. Yeah. Oh oh yeah, oh yep. Yeah. Similar tone. Very similar tone. Uh mostly uh well, firstly, it, it, check it out. Uh, I, I think check it out because I'm not from Vancouver. I didn't know this happened. But um it, uh, it is like the big short in that with the Sieges, the imagination Sieges, also in that it's uh, one thing about really suspecting um, banking, upper-level banking and things like that because of how distant those institutions are from human experience. And uh, that, I think, is pretty relevant for uh, those of us who are entering the job market in the wake of... in, in a post-2008 world. So... Um, like um, with 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 OA oh, with with a couple of recessions between that and then with the depression within pretty well cataloged history like I'm not saying that that's necessarily anomalous with economic history maybe it is I'm not too familiar with that but we are aware of that and because of that like we we you gotta act more so in that vein because of that things like this will uh, remain relevant so yeah victim impact. Uh, At the CULCH, going to the seventeenth. Check it out. You know, you go down, go down commercial. It's lovely. I uh, went to a Tunisian cafe on the way there. They have a great uh, homemade sauce. They have great in-house sausage with um, couscous. Yum. (laughs) Sorry, I just really like doing that.
2: We got to leave on a good note. We do.
1: Me singing like a lunatic. This has been The Arts Report. I'm Jake Clark. I'm
4: Eliana Sosa.
1: And we'll see you next week. Cheers.
4: Bye. And food. All proceeds go to support queer Syrian refugees. For more information and tickets, visit EveningInDamascus.com.
5: Shadows are falling. keep me in your heart for a while if i leave you it doesn't mean that i love you any less keep me in your heart for a while when you get Get up in the morning and you see that crazy